0: Hey everyone, good morning. Pastor Brenda here. And we are in the middle of this series again called Comeback. And we're kind of bouncing off how we ended the year last year with our word as a church um, being that word, come back. And Andrew was chatting with us last week about coming back into the presence of God. And so I'm just going to pick up there again today. And we're going to talk today a little bit more about the presence of God, maybe in some super practical terms, I hope. And I hope this gives you some super practical ways that you can lean into the presence of God for yourself individually. I'm gonna be back with you next week and we're gonna talk about what the presence of God means for us corporately, as a body, as a church. Um, And so, but this week we're gonna jump into Isaiah 6 and I'm actually gonna start off our message today just by reading a chunk of scripture in Isaiah 6. If you've been in church for any amount of time, this is going to be a really um, familiar scripture to you. Um, This is what is often referred to as Isaiah's commissioning or the moment when he like sort of realizes uh, the presence of God, the revelation of God and steps into his calling and ministry. Um, And so I'm just going to jump in and start reading in verse chapter one or sorry, in chapter six, verse one. Um, And then we'll go from there. So it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. Two covered their faces. Two covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and he said now that this has touched your lips your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. He's actually um, speaking ahead to what Jesus was going to do in cleansing us and forgiving us remember we talked about this a few weeks ago God was a forgiving God long before Jesus came on the scene and displayed that for us God was already a forgiving God finishes off this this portion by saying then I heard of the voice of the Lord asking who will I send who will go for us and I said here I am send me so I want to just break this down this is a revelation that God has given to Isaiah. It's it's one of those moments in history, one of those moments in the Bible where it's like the curtain is sort of peeled back and we see into the throne room of heaven. And we see what the reality of heaven is like in um, our present circumstances. And so first, first thing that is really important in this is to note that he begins by saying that this happened in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah was a good, king he actually secured Israel and they felt safe and protected and prospered under his reign he came into um, reigning when he was only 16 years old and he reigned over Israel for 52 years he had re-implemented worship in Israel and he honored God with his life in 2 Chronicles 26, it tells us that he sought God and did what was right in the Lord's eyes. And the Lord God gave him success. He defeated other cities um, around him and he expanded the borders of the kingdom of Israel. And it says in, again, in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 26, it says his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt for God made him very powerful Um, so his fame spread and, and it also says this and this is what I want us to pay attention to really closely here for a second it says he was wonderfully helped wonderfully helped by God and he became strong so Uzziah was a good king And under his reign, Israel felt safe and secure. Their borders were expanding. They were not afraid of their enemies. And the truth is that um, Assyria was rising up in those days and kind of conquering lands around them, but they did not touch Israel because of King Uzziah. So it's important for us to recognize that the reason Isaiah is saying You know this happened in the year that King Uzziah died, is because this was a year of transition and change. This was a year when the Israelite people were going, okay, we have been safe and protected and strong under King Uzziah, but what's going to happen to us now? What? There's all this uncertainty ahead of us. Are we still going to be secure with whoever takes the throne? Next, these Assyrians want our land. They are an enemy that stands against us. And so there was a lot of uncertainty about this in Israel. They've, they very likely felt vulnerable at this moment of time. And so in a time of great uncertainty, in the year that King Uzziah died, God reveals himself in a miraculous way to Isaiah. And this is very similar to what we saw um, Andrew talking about last week in Revelation 1, where John is exiled to the island of Patmos, and he actually has a same, very, very similar revelation of the greatness of God. In his time of isolation and exile, in his time of distress, um, he sees a revelation of God in the middle of of his circumstances and so does isaiah that's something common in these two stories the word revelation itself means the uncovering or unveiling of something that was previously hidden so it's like i said earlier it's like the curtain pulls back just a little bit and we get a glimpse into eternity a glimpse into heaven a glimpse into the reality that God lives in. And when we are faced with difficult times in our life and difficult circumstances, what we need is a greater revelation of who God is in the middle of our uncertainty, and I wanna challenge you today that you can actually ask for this. If you're going through an uncertain time in your life, in your finances, your marriage, your jobs, your relationships, if anything is going off in your life and it's consuming your thoughts or you're feeling stressed about it, why don't we more often ask for a revelation of God, of how his perspective is, what he sees, what heaven sees in the midst of our difficult circumstances. In our times of uncertainty, when we can spin out with irrational thoughts and fears, are we going to get on our knees and say, Jesus, I need a greater revelation of you in the middle of this circumstance. I need to lift my eyes off of what I see and I need to see you. I need to stop seeing things just from my own perspective. I need to see things differently. I need to pick up an eternal perspective. I need to see what you see. I want to pick up your heart for my situation, and I want to understand where you are and who you are in the middle of this hard time. And um, asking God to reveal himself to us, I think, is an important part of centering ourselves in his perspective and in the kingdom Um, heaven sort of mentality sometimes we just need to reframe our situation in the presence of god and to see it from his perspective revelations are not reserved for the old testament prophets and the disciples and the people who were in the bible God still longs to reveal himself to us today. Now, the revelations that we get from God are always going to line up with scripture. They're always going to sort of mirror, you know, in some part in scripture. They're going to be based in that. But God wants to reveal something more to you. So Isaiah 6 gives us a great indication of what happens when we come into the presence of God and we have a greater revelation of God in the midst of our uncertainty and our broken circumstances. And there are three very specific things, very specific things that Isaiah sees in the middle of this revelation. And I just want to walk through them really carefully and just um, unveil for us what God was showing Isaiah, because this is important for us too. So the first thing that Isaiah saw, the first sort of revelation that Isaiah has, is that he sees how big God is is the bible um, says in this part like it's his literal size like he was so big that only the train of his robe filled the temple only a little part just his hem of his garment was in the temple that's how big he was so in this vision god's showing isaiah he's revealing to isaiah i'm big i'm bigger than you ever imagined that I was. I am majestic, I'm the king above all kings. I stand in the temple and in the throne room and I am bigger than anything that you are going through or anything that you are facing in this moment. God is bigger and that's what he's revealing to Isaiah. I've wondered, I'm just gonna throw this in, this is just a side note, little bunny trail, but I've wondered about the woman in the New Testament who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And the Bible says she was going through that crowd, she was pressing through the crowd and saying to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I wonder if she had heard Isaiah 6 read when she went to church. I wonder if she, in her her, um, disease, in her brokenness, had heard that and thought, man, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, that." that part of him that fills the temple, that part that we can see. We can't even understand all of who he is. But if I could just touch his hand, I would be healed. There's a little bit of God's holiness that we see here, just a little bit of how great he is. It says that the seraphim flew and they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the same language that we see in Revelation four. It's the same thing that John saw, this song of the heavens, holy, holy, holy. And as we were learning um, several weeks ago in our God has a name series, we were talking about the fact that in Hebrew writing, repetition is important. It would signal that this is really important. And this is the only thing that is said about God that is repeated three times holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, Isaiah also sees, this is the second thing that Isaiah sees. So he sees how big God is. And then he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. So right away, Isaiah sees how broken he is. He sees how small he is in comparison to such a great God. He sees how unholy he is next to God's holiness and everything that is sinful in his life and among his people begins to bubble up to the surface in the light of the Lord God Almighty and so he looks at God and he sees how big and majestic and amazing and holy God is and then he goes wait a minute I don't even belong here I'm so unholy I'm so unholy so our sin is revealed in the presence of God the things that actually separate us would threaten to separate us from his presence are revealed in the presence of God. Those things that need to get out of our life, that keep us from fully being able to walk in our calling are revealed in the presence of God. Sometimes the greatest revelations that we receive are the revelations of the things that stand between us And God, the things that have not yet been purged out of our life, the things that have not been touched by his renewal and his power, the things that are destroying us in his kindness, he reveals them in his presence. And we see them for what they really are. Anything that inhibits our relationship with him will be revealed in his presence. And the third thing that Isaiah sees in the presence of God is the goodness of God. He sees his redemption and his forgiveness. Isaiah is faced with this striking difference between God's holiness and his uncleanliness. And in that, God cleanses him from his sin. He touches his lips with the hot coal the seraphim does. And this is a prelude to what Jesus was going to do on the cross. This is the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of all things. Remember what I said in the beginning, God is forgiving. He was always forgiving. Even before Jesus came and went to the cross, God was a forgiving God and he was longing to redeem that which was broken and wounded and full of sin in Isaiah's life and among his people. So he uses Isaiah's lips to speak as a prophet in the nation of Israel. He takes what was unclean, what was unholy, what was really broken, what was far from his heart, and he actually forgives it and redeems it and restores it to a place where he would actually choose to use it for his good and his glory. The very thing Isaiah identified as the most grievous thing in the presence of God was his unclean lips. And the very thing that God chose to use and redeem were his lips. He wanted to use his voice to prophesy. I think that that's pretty amazing that often the very thing God wants to use is the very thing that we think is destroyed and unusable and defiled in our own lives. The very place God wants to move often is our most broken places and they become the place where God chooses to display his glory. In 2 Corinthians 12 9 and 10 Paul had this same sort of uh, revelation I guess if you want to say it when he talks about the thorn in his flesh and this is what he says he says he said to me my grace he said he's talking about God he brings his petition to God and God says my grace is sufficient for you My power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more, Paul says, about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, he is strong in me. Or some translations say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because the power of God comes and rests in those broken places and forgives and redeems and restores and begins to use those broken things for his good and his glory. It is God's goodness and grace to use the very things that we see as defiled and hopeless and ineffective and useless for his kingdom. He steps in with his power and his greatness and he turns the most broken and barren places into fruitful and redeemed places that he can use. So in summary those three things that Isaiah saw the three things that were revealed to him in the presence of God were the fact that God is really big. And he's bigger than all of our problems. He's saying, look, I've got a different perspective for you. Your problem isn't this big and your God is this small. In fact, see it from my perspective. Your problem is really small when it comes to the fact that I am so big. And I have everything that you need. Isaiah also understood in the presence of God that he was unholy. But he also saw that God was a God who redeems, who brings People into his story and begins to rewrite a new story. In God's presence, we see things from God's perspective. That's what happens. We get a whole new perspective on life when we come into the presence of God. And often, you know, we want to do things our own way. We just plowing away, plugging away with life, and we're not stopping to do the disciplined things that position us in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, our thinking can get way off track. The way we view things can get way off track. Our circumstances can feel really big. Stress starts to rise. That's what happens outside of the presence of God. Fear becomes bigger than, you know, living right. All of these things become out of perspective and out of proportion when we're outside of the presence of God. The call of God is to come into his presence and to pick up his perspective and his heart for our situation. In his presence, we see things as they really are. We see his story. We see a really big God who is above all of our current struggles. We see our brokenness for what it really is, a place for his intrusive story of love and redemption. And we see forgiveness and we receive what we need to carry out our calling and purpose in Christ. If we try to avoid God or ignore him or try to run and hide from his presence, there is nowhere we will ever escape. He is always present. He is always with us. So why not turn our attention towards him? The word presence in the Bible actually means face, being in front of the face of God, to be able to see his expression to be able to see how he actually feels about you. There's something beautiful that we can lean in and pick up in his presence. Don't avoid it, don't try to run from it, don't hide from it. I wanna encourage you today to lean into his presence to get everything that you need, everything we need for life and godliness he has, and we will find it there in his presence. But we need to lean in and find what's waiting for us there in that place and cultivate in our lives a place where god is welcome where his presence is welcome so how do we position ourselves for an encounter in god's presence well we do that through spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude and prayer time that's set aside devotional time reading the word of God and in the um, more song practices like worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Even gratitude is a place where we cultivate the presence of God. And so I want to just ask you today, are you leaning into the presence of of God for everything that you need? If you've got something going on in your life that feels uncertain, like in the year that King Uzziah died and all of Israel was wondering what's next for us, if you've got fear or doubts or questions about God, you're not gonna find the answers anywhere other than in his presence. So I wanna encourage you today to lean into his presence. How can you arrange your life so that you're constantly leaning into his presence, constantly aware of his presence everywhere you go, that you are carrying his presence and come back to that place of being centered in his presence, at rest in his presence, and be able to live out of the strength that you receive there in his presence. Next week, we're gonna be talking about what it means to come together corporately. What we talked about today is a revelation um, from God and what happens in his presence when we're alone. But next week we're gonna talk about what happens when we come together as a body or as a church family because I believe that we all carry the presence of God but when we come together, it it's like it, it exponentially <laughs> grows and, and beautiful things happen in the presence of God corporately. And so um, I just wanna let you know that that's coming up next week. And I do wanna just pray over you at the end here. Um, Pray that you can lean into God's presence and receive everything you need. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your presence that is so close to us all of the time. You are omnipresent, which means you are present everywhere at all times. You are present here with me as I present this message to a camera. And you are present in every home where each person is listening to the sound of my voice. And God, I pray that your presence would rest over our lives, that we would learn how to lean into you and to turn to you for every answer that we need, that we wouldn't go searching for it in other places, but we would lean into your presence and receive what we need out of the, the beauty and the majesty of your greatness and your glory. Father, I thank you for how you redeem the broken places of our lives and use them for your glory and your good. If there's anything that we're holding back or hiding, teach us how to bring that and allow it to be exposed by the light of your presence so that it can be healed and redeemed. Father God, we thank you right now for a revelation of you, a revelation of your kingdom perspective in the middle of our brokenness. We lean in, we receive you in Jesus' name. Amen.